God, we do love your presence and so greatly appreciate your sacrifice, your generosity towards us in every way, but most especially through your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I'm just, I'm so thankful for our gospel reading this morning and hearing the example of John who didn't get jealous because of Jesus, but actually sacrificially gave his life and became less that Jesus could become exalted and become become more. And so Lord, I pray as we open up your word this morning that like John, we would become less and Jesus, you would fill our hearts with your love and we would become more because you are more in us and we are more in you. We ask Jesus for your glory here and now in your name. Amen. Please be seated. So I am super fired up about this afternoon. We're going to have our family and friends picnic after the worship gathering. We're going to walk across the parking lot and occupy Northridge Park. It's going to be a really fun time. Cheesy Jane's is coming and lunch is free. Lunch is free because we're living into our rhythm of generosity and grateful response to God's generosity in giving us this new place. We want to be generous and provide a great time of food and fellowship for our families and friends. It's going to be a great time afterwards. And it makes me kind of begin to ask the question, the question around generosity, If God is generous and I'm created in the image and likeness of God, why do I so often struggle with being generous? Why do I so often struggle with being selfish and stingy and greedy? What's wrong with my heart? Why do I fear scarcity? Why do I want to be generous to myself, but often withhold generosity from God and from God's people? Today, as we continue in the story of God, as we continue our journey and our pilgrimage together through God's story, we have another tragic episode. It's another tragic story, and at its heart, is the theme of generosity and generosity corrupted. It's a story of Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve, and how sin continues to separate people from God and separate people from each other. This story describes the continued effect of original sin we all inherit. Before we go on, Let's review our storyline together, shall we? It's on the screen. Let's say this together. Before anything existed, there was an amazing being called God, the author of life, who created all things to glorify himself. Satan rebels against God, but God is holy and always does what is good, right, and perfect. God creates Adam and Eve in his image to love him and one another according to his design. 
Tragically, sin corrupts God's design and separates humanity from God and one another. Then Cain murders his brother Abel because of jealousy. It's another tragic story, back to back, chapter four, week four, already in the story of God, we have our first murder. The story of Cain and Abel, though, is about something far more important than just conflict between two brothers. The story of Cain and Abel is about giving. It's about giving generously and sacrificially from the heart as an act of worship. And in this story, we see how jealousy gives way to an independent spirit and corrupts the generous and sacrificial giving that God desires. Listen to the story of Cain and Abel. Allow the Holy Spirit to capture your God-given imagination and to see in your mind's eye this story. That means close your Bibles and listen with your heart. After leaving the garden, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. They're the first offspring of humanity and the result of God's design and command to be fruitful and multiply. Cain is born first, Abel is born second. And from their parents, they inherit a sinful nature and they live with its consequences, banished from the presence of God away from the garden. When they grow up, Cain becomes a farmer. Abel becomes a shepherd. And they work with sweat and toils and tears. And yet between the two of them, they have meat and potatoes covered. One day, Cain and Abel bring a gift to God. At the same time, And to the same place, they bring a sacrifice as an act of worship. Cain brings some of the fruits of his farm. And Abel brings the very best fat portions of some of the firstborn lambs of his flock. God accepts Abel and his offering. God does not accept Cain or his offering. And this makes Cain very angry. So God asks Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so discouraged? You'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching like a lion at your door, waiting to attack you and destroy you. Its desire is to control you, but you must rule over it. Later, Cain suggests to Abel, hey, let's go out into the fields together. And while they were far away, Cain attacks his brother, and kills him. Soon after, God comes to Cain and asks, Hey, Cain, where's your brother Abel? Uh, I don't know, Cain replies. Am I supposed to keep track of him wherever he goes? But God says, Cain, what have you done? 
what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you have to leave this place because you've dirtied it by making your brother bleed here. It will no longer produce crops for you, no matter how hard you work. And from now on, you're going to be homeless, on the run, constantly wandering from place to place. Cain is convicted. He is exposed. And to God, he replies, my punishment is more than I can handle. You've removed me from the land. You've removed me from your presence. You've made me a wanderer on the run and all who will see me will try to kill me. But God graciously promises, no, they will not kill you. And anyone who tries to hurt you will receive seven times your punishment. And then God does something amazing. He puts a mark on Cain. It's a sign of protection and a warning to anyone who might try to kill him. Cain is banished from God's presence and he travels to the east even farther away from the garden. This is the story we call Cain and Abel. The story of Cain and Abel is more than just a story of two brothers. It's more than just a story of two brothers in conflict. Yes, it is the first time we see murder in the Bible, but that is just a symptom of the first time that we see worship in the Bible. The story of Cain and Abel is first and foremost a story about giving generously and sacrificially from the heart as an act of worship. And so now I do want to encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're going to look at this often overlooked episode in God's story. So open your Bibles or your Bible apps in the blue Bibles on your chairs. It's in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 on page 4. Let's dig into this a little bit and, and, and hear the heart of God, get a sense of who God creates us to be and how sin corrupts our God-given identity, what we need God to do for us and on our behalf. And if he does, how might we live in grateful response? The first thing we see, which I find really cool, is that Cain and Abel know God. They know God. They're in a relationship with God. Surely Adam and Eve told their sons everything that had happened, right? And you can imagine them sitting by the campfire, telling them the, the story, you know, life with God in the garden. What it was like when they met, how they listened to the snake and rebelled against God. How terrible they felt when they realized that they were guilty. How God showed mercy and sacrificed an animal and made coverings for him. And yet how they ended up outside the garden, separated from God because of their sin, with no way to get past those big angels with flaming swords and return to the garden and the tree of life. Can you imagine how that conversation would have gone? 
Cain and Abel know about God from their parents, a theme that we will see throughout God's story. But they also know about God because God is still speaking. Even though they are separated from God and outside of his presence in the garden, God is still speaking to them another theme that we are going to see throughout God's story. Because God loves to communicate to us. He wants us to know who he is and why he created us so that we can live the best possible life in a relationship with him. I mean, think about that right now. Since we began our time together in worship, since we entered into the presence of God in this place and began to exalt Jesus and invite the Holy Spirit to come down, what has God been saying to you? Can you hear him? God loves to communicate. Well, the other thing that we see is that Cain and Abel know how to worship God. Maybe it's the Sabbath at the end of the week. We don't know. But at some designated time, Cain and Abel clear their schedule and make worshiping God a priority. Maybe they take their offerings to a spot on the east side of the garden where the angels are there keeping them out of the garden. Maybe they bring their worship there. We don't know, but they go to a designated place together. Cain and Abel go to the same place at the same time to do the same thing. They go to worship, to acknowledge God as their creator, to honor him as their sustainer, to ascribe worth to him above everything else by offering a portion of their life and labor and grateful response to his generous provision in, in their lives. This is the heart of worship right here. First story after separation. And it's no different for us today. God desires this kind of worship from us. God desires us to give a portion of our life and labor generously and sacrificially to him as an act of worship and grateful response to the fact that he is our creator and sustainer and provider. This is the first time we see worship in the story of God. It's also the first time that we see how sin corrupts worship in the story of God, how sin corrupts the worship that God intends. And so what we see here is that we can show up at the same time and at the same place and go through all the same motions of worship and yet not truly worship God in a manner that's acceptable to him. And the difference that we see, the difference that we see between Cain and Abel is not so much the type of gift they bring, it's the posture of their heart. Let's drill down and see that in this story. Look at verse four. Cain brings some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. The way that this reads in the Hebrew is kind of ho-hum, just some. Cain doesn't offer his first fruit or his best fruit, just some of the fruit. And on Cain and his offering, God does not look with favor. 
The problem isn't the gift. You know, God isn't just disappointed that he doesn't have more or better potatoes. The problem is with the giver of the gift. Cain's response to God is just to do the bare minimum. He's, he's doing just enough to get by. He's simply going through the motions. He's not motivated by love. He's not moved with gratitude. He's not giving generously or sacrificially from his heart. Outwardly, he gives the appearance of worshiping God, but inwardly, he is not worshiping God with his very best. Cain is not fully surrendered to God. He's showing up, but he is put out. Not really grateful, not really joyful, just ho-hum, whatever, I guess. Okay, meh. It doesn't say that in the Hebrew, but it should. Meh. Cain is being swayed by sin and duped by an independent spirit. You can almost hear the serpent whisper, why waste all your hard work on God? It's yours, man. You deserve it. You need it. Use it for yourself. God will understand. Cain believes the lie. And like his parents, he decides to do things his way instead of trusting God and doing things God's way. And a wall is erected around his heart and he chooses rebellion. Cain comes to God with an independent spirit and even though he gives, he gives the best fruit of his life and labor to himself. He withholds from God. He keeps from God. And so what we see here is that the story of Cain and Abel is about worship. It shows us the right way to worship and the wrong way to worship. Cain shows us the wrong way to worship. But Abel shows us the right way to worship. Look back at verse four. Abel brings fat portions from several of his firstborn of his flock. Abel holds nothing back from God. The firstborn of his flock represents his very best. The fat portions of his firstborn of his flock represents the very best of the very best. And the Lord looks with favor on Abel and his offering. You notice in both accounts, the Lord doesn't look at the offering first. He looks at the person. He looks at the heart. And that's where he shows favor. Why? Because it's not the gift that pleases God. In Abel's case, it's not like he's going to sit down and enjoy a nice lamb dinner. That's not why God is joyful and delights in Abel. God is pleased with the giver of the gift. It's not what Abel does for God that pleases God. It's how Abel feels about God that pleases God. Abel's motivated by love. He's moved with gratitude. So his gift is both generous and sacrificial. It comes from his heart, from a yielded, surrendered, joyful, grateful heart. For God. And so Abel exemplifies the worship that God desires. His worship reveals the heart that God loves to look upon and bless. 
Abel is coming into the presence of God, saying, God, you are my God, and I will give you the very best of my very best. With the best that I am and the best that I have, I honor you above all else. I will give you my very best, Lord, my very best. Worship is meant to be like that. When our heart is fully devoted to God, God is pleased and we find favor in his sight. It's not about style, it's about attitude. It's about the posture of our heart toward God. So, how is the posture of your heart toward God? Do you find yourself giving generously and sacrificially from your heart or do you find yourself holding back, swayed by sin and duped by an independent spirit? Well, the rest of the story illustrates the other breakdown that results from a heart swayed by sin and duped into living with an independent spirit. Cain gets mad. He's jealous that God accept his brother's offering and not his. And it makes him angry. And his anger makes him defensive. And his defensiveness causes him to push back from God and begin to move in rebellion. And God responds with a gentle but very clear warning. He says, Cain, you will be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door of your heart, eager to control you. You have got to subdue it. You've got to be its master. Come on, Cain. But like his parents, instead of taking responsibility and doing what was right, Cain shifted the blame. He shifted the blame and he did what was wrong. Deceived into thinking that it will make his guilt and shame go away, he kills Abel. It's the tragedy of the corruption of the sinful nature that we inherit. Y'all, we start doing this on the playground in like third grade, right? When we get jealous of someone, we get angry and defensive, we start cutting them down. We start getting allies and, and groups and gangs to make that person less so that we can become more. Jesus says, even if you're angry at someone in your heart, it's the same as murdering them. That's how corrupted our hearts have become by sin. And because God is holy, he cannot allow evil to remain in his presence. So God banishes Cain even further east to be a homeless wanderer. Cain responds with a penitent heart. And once again, God shows mercy. Once again, God extends grace and he puts that mark on Cain's forehead as a sign of protection. Y'all, the story of Cain and Abel is about giving generously and sacrificially from the heart as an act of worship. 
It's the first time we see worship in God's story, and it's also the first time we see how jealousy can give way to anger and an independent spirit that corrupts the general and sacrificial giving, the generous and sacrificial giving that God desires. I mean, it's, it's a heavy story. I don't know what it's like to hear it, but man, it's not exactly fun to preach it. Y'all want to be gospeled? Yes, please. Can we have the gospel? I mean, don't you feel your, your heart long to hear the good news? Don't you feel your spirit crying out, God, please, where is the good news here? How does this story possibly point to Jesus? But we know that God is the creator and provider of all things. Every good, right, and perfect gift comes from our Father above. He is so generous and he invites us to steward his resources for him and for his purposes and for his glory. And with a grateful response to his generosity to us, God calls us to be generous to him and to others. And yet we know, we feel, we see, we hear in the words and thoughts and actions of our everyday lives that our hearts are corrupted, that we've inherited that same nature and the things that we wanna do, we don't do, and the things that we don't wanna do, we end up doing. And rather living toward God with radical generosity, we become enslaved by an attitude of scarcity. And the simper, the serpent whispers, it's yours. You deserve it. You need it. Use it for yourself. And like Adam and Eve and Cain, we believe the lie. And so we struggle, selfish, stingy, jealous, greedy. Like Adam and Eve and Cain, we take on an independent spirit. We displace blame. Sorry, we blame, we displace responsibility. And we choose rebellion. Sharing, but not sacrificing. Tipping, but not tithing. Giving, but keeping the first fruits of our life and labor for ourselves and for our own purposes. We become jealous and worship created things rather than our creator. To keep up with the Joneses? I mean, what's up with the Joneses? But to keep up with the Joneses, we withhold what belongs to God. To keep up with the Joneses, we give our leftovers to God. It's so subtle and subversive, we don't even notice that the Joneses have become our God. And the Joneses make a terrible savior. The biggest challenge to my relationship with God is my deep addiction to myself. That's the problem in my heart. And so the greatest question for my faith is who can save me? Who can save me from myself? Who can give me a new heart? Who can fill my heart with the love and generosity of God that I might image him by being generous and sacrificial in worship toward him? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. 
For God so loved the world that he gave. We are forgiven our sin. We are saved from an independent spirit that leads to death. We are delivered from the devil and his subtle subversive schemes because our God so generously and sacrificially gave from his heart. Jesus is the better Cain and the perfect Abel. That's how this story points to him. Now I want to close with this. Because until this week, I never understood what this passage in 1 Corinthians talks about. But listen to it. You can look it up and read it and be face melted by it like I was later. This comes from 1 Corinthians 15. It's verses 20 through 23. And it's how the apostle Paul describes this. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And just as death came through the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who now belongs to Christ will be given new life. Christ was raised as the first fruits of the harvest so that all who belong to him will be raised when he comes back. The first and greatest act of worship in the new creation is Jesus sacrificing himself and then giving to God the first fruits of that sacrifice, his very life that we too might enjoy life in him. Jesus is the firstborn son of the father. He's the very best of God's very best. He is the fattest portion of the most perfect and unblemished lamb of God. His resurrection is the first fruits of a new creation. The assurance that all who believe in him will not be cursed or banished or die, but live in the presence, in the promise, and in the power of God forever. That's the gospel, y'all. And it's not necessarily what we thought or what we were told when we first started following Jesus. Y'all, Jesus isn't a trophy. He's not a decoration. He doesn't come alongside us to make our lives more beautiful and abundant. He is life. He's the king. And in him, we're given a new heart. And in him, God looks with us, looks upon us with favor and restores us to the good and right and perfect relationship that God created us to enjoy forever. You know, that's why in baptism, we symbolize the gospel by someone going down into the water and their sins, their, their old life being washed away buried with Christ and his death. And then we bring them up out of the water, symbolizing that we have been raised to new life with Christ in his resurrection, that the old is gone and that the new has come. And then as a sign of grace, what do we do? We mark that person. And when we mark that person, we say these words, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. He will protect you. He will watch over you. 
and no harm will come to you because you belong to him. You were bought with a price and you belong to him forever. And that means we can live in a grateful response as the type of worshipers the Father desires. With the help of the Holy Spirit and in grateful response to the word of God, the generosity and grace of Jesus Christ, we have the ability and even have the desire now to give generously and sacrificially from the heart the very best of our very best to God, joyfully and thankfully as an act of worship. It's a story of Cain and Abel, how it points to Jesus and what it means to grow up and to be those who are fully devoted and fully dedicated to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your lavish love. Thank you for your abundant generosity towards us. Thank you that as we worship you above all else, we will lack no good thing. And so, Lord, this morning as we come to your son, Jesus Christ, through the bread and through the wine, I ask, beginning with me, that you would pour out your love in our hearts, that you would make us new again, that all the fruits of your spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, would well up within us and display your recreated image on us and bring you delight and glory. I thank you that as we come to you, you look upon us and you see Jesus and we have your favor. Thank you for your favor, Lord. Thank you that you are a good father. That's who you are and that's who we are. Let it be, Lord, for your honor and glory and for our freedom and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.